All right, this is from Luke chapter 3, verse 15. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Can y'all hear me okay? Um, yell at me if at any point you can't hear me okay, because that's something that could happen. I get quiet sometimes, so just wave. Um, if I have not had the chance to meet you yet, I'm Sarah, and I'm not always the one up here, but I'm really happy to be with all of y'all today. Um, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your presence with us this morning. Thank you for your character, for who you are. We ask God that you would be with us now and that you would make yourself more known to us. We love you. Amen. So part of me wishes um, this morning that we could actually just kind of zoom back in time to last week at this time when we were worshiping and celebrating with um, our neighbors from Canoe. If y'all weren't here, it was one of the most joyful experiences I have ever had. And I have been thinking all week just about the joy of that service and um, especially about sort of the, the vibrancy of this room during that time and the way that it sort of launched us into this season of Epiphany. So Epiphany, as I understand it, is the season after Christmas when we have longed for and we have witnessed the miracle of the incarnation, when we allow it to dawn on us with more and more clarity the true identity of this baby. So think about it. When someone says, I've had an epiphany, they mean I've realized it, or um, the truth is revealed to me. And that is what we're up to in the church calendar right now. We are moving forward in the scripture from Jesus' birth into Jesus' life and mission so that we can see him more clearly. And what that doesn't mean is that at the end of the story, we're going to perfectly understand everything. In fact, so I feel like last week was a really good example of this where at the exact same moment that one layer of hiddenness was sort of swept away. We saw these three wise men coming to worship this baby, and we learned that this baby is actually a king. So we see Jesus more clearly. But at that same moment, we are also led into the heart of a deeper mystery. So that's how Epiphany works, I think. As we have the cobwebs sort of cleared away and our eyes are more opened to the fullness of Christ, we are also brought 
further and further into mystery. We're brought deeper and deeper until our feet can't touch the bottom anymore and we're sort of swept up by it. We're um, held in the hands of a mystery that is deeper than we could ever grasp ourselves. And last week I was reminded how much epiphany, the news of who Jesus is, is really good news. It's good news like if you were a kid, and this happened last week, you're a kid and you receive a present that is actually bigger than you are. Um, And you don't know what it is completely, but you know that it's awesome. And so it's with that spirit of expectancy and joy that we're continuing onward this week. We're going to move forward in time now to a view of Jesus' baptism, which is this other mysterious episode by which Jesus' identity is revealed and deepened for us. And team, this story is wild. In Luke's version especially, the story goes from zero to 60 in like two sentences. One minute, Jesus is a child, and he's getting accidentally left behind by his parents on a road trip. And um, as an aside, who hasn't been there, you know? (laughs) And the next moment, John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, is a fully grown man. And he's standing on the banks of the Jordan River. And he is preaching just the most extraordinary thing. He's preaching repentance as marked by baptism for the forgiveness of sins. I can hardly imagine what this must have sounded like to be there. I I wonder what people were saying and how the word was getting passed along. The text tells us that people were trying to make sense of John the Baptist. They were trying to like place this guy in the narrative and they were wondering if he was the Messiah that they had been looking for. And that's where our text really gets going today. John the Baptist hears this rumor and he answers the people. He says, no, actually you haven't seen anything yet. John tells them what I'm doing here, this proclamation, this baptism, this is nothing compared to what's coming, to who is coming. I'm baptizing you with water, but there is one who is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And I can imagine the crowd, or maybe I can imagine us, hearing these words with maybe excitement, but also maybe with some fear or some frustration. Maybe they were tired of waiting, tired of hoping for a political revolution. Maybe they would rather have John the Baptist as a Messiah because as eccentric as he is, he sort of fits this prophet motif and he makes sense. And more than anything, he's here, he's present. But this one that John the Baptist describes, in some ways he sounds like more than they could have dreamed. But in other ways, maybe he sounds like more than they bargained for. 
like I don't know that I would be excited about someone coming to perform baptism by spirit and fire. And I, I wonder if this tension sort of makes sense for us today too. Like, I wonder if we, as we face um, some like very deep political darkness and systemic evil, we are so ready for help. We're so ready for a change. Um, I wonder if we can sometimes be disappointed when Jesus shows up in ways that don't fit our desires, fit what we want. When the coming Messiah is either like way less or way more than we bargained for. And I think John the Baptist is describing Jesus' coming as an epiphany moment, not just for Jesus, but also for the crowds or even for us. So when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes, Jesus' identity is revealed, but we are also revealed. We might be revealed in our weakness or in our complicitness with injustice or even just our smallness and our pettiness. So that is what John the Baptist is preaching about. He's saying, repent now. Make clean your hearts let whoever has two coats share with whoever has none. And with this sort of sense of like coming judgment, I think the act of baptism makes a lot of sense. So I think of rivers as being a really powerful place. Rivers are so powerful, they, they can reveal the weakness of human bodies. But this, this power is also sort of a purifying power. So to pass through a river is to be washed and to be tested and to be renewed. Rivers are dangerous to our old ways of life. And baptism is both a washing from sin, but it might even more be a putting to death of that old way so that a new way can be born. We don't go, I, don't, I know I don't go to stand beside a river because it's tame or because it's safe. I know I'm drawn to rivers when I'm drawn to a power that is greater than my own to seek new life. And John the Baptist is telling people, come now, come and wade in the water. Wade in the water, children, because the coming Messiah who is going to baptize with spirit and with fire, the Messiah is going to trouble the water. Liberation might not look how you think it's going to look. So be ready. And just after this introduction, just after this cliffhanger, there's sort of a, there's a weird jump in the narrative. We go straight from this intense description of the one who is coming to this. Now, when all the people were baptized, and Jesus also had been baptized, anybody else like, excuse me, what? <laughs> like, didn't you miss the baptism? Weren't we supposed to see that? And this move, this jump in the book of Luke, it to me it feels sort of sneaky because in the same story in Matthew and in Mark, 
we get more of the background. We see Jesus, we see this view of Jesus sort of coming up over the hillside and down into the valley. And we can imagine everyone sort of looking at him and maybe there's a halo around his head. And there's this smoother, slightly, transition from John the Baptist's prophecy to the actual baptism. We even get this scene where John the Baptist sort of makes a fuss about baptizing Jesus because he doesn't think that's the way it should be. Don't I need to be baptized by you, he asks Jesus. Like, Jesus, the baptizee line is here, but the baptizor line is over there. And Jesus says, no, this is what is proper to fulfill all righteousness. But in Luke, this version that we read today, the narrative just kind of zooms right past all of that. One moment, John the Baptist is describing this one who will come with a winnowing fork in his hand. And the next, Jesus is there and is already baptized. And it, it strikes me, it just gets me, that in the Luke version, Jesus comes into this moment with so little introduction, so little pomp. In some ways, it feels like the exact opposite of what John the Baptist has described. There's no whirlwind, there's no fire. Jesus just stands his line, stands in line, waits his turn, and gets dunked. And while the official epiphany moment is a moment later, I don't want us to miss the epiphany moment that is right here with Jesus just waiting quietly on the banks of the Jordan River. One of my professors writes about this moment as an epiphany moment because Jesus reveals who he is by choosing to stand in line on the banks of the Jordan, to stand with wet feet and probably some horse flies, and to rub shoulders with all those muddy and mediocre sinners. Jesus, sinless, the child who was just worshipped as a king, chooses here again to be God with us, Emmanuel, even standing in line for baptism. And I just love this image because even though Jesus is blameless, Jesus chooses to stand shoulder to shoulder with us as we experience the movement from shame to repentance, as we experience our longing to be made clean or to see the world liberated. There is a mystery here. It's the mystery of Jesus' deep humility. And it's the mystery that carries Jesus all the way to the cross. It's this humility that Paul describes in Philippians 2. Jesus emptied himself and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. And in this passage in Philippians, Jesus' humility creates the opportunity for God to exalt him. Therefore, it says, God exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. And if we, if we look closely, 
there's a similar movement in our text. Because the moment after Jesus has waded into the water in humble solidarity with us, God's voice, God the Father's voice, comes down from heaven saying, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And we see the Holy Spirit, this spirit of restoration and comfort and power, the spirit that is known for troubling the waters, embodied as a dove and descending on Jesus. Can you believe it? Jesus, this baby worshipped by wise men is now standing as a man in the Jordan River next to his cousin. And he's soggy and human, but at the same time, he is also shrouded in the divine affirmation of his own divinity. And there's, there's a convergence at this moment. There's an encounter, an earthly proclamation of the nearness, the flesh and blood presence of the timeless fullness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, present to earth now. Present to earth now is the same fullness that spoke over all of creation at the beginning of time. That same voice that called that work of creation good is speaking now. The same spirit who hovered over those primordial waters and that same word who was there also, the word who was with God and is God. Everybody's here proclaiming the deep mystery of God's son in a body and God's body in a river. And here we are also looking at this moment. And we're sort of, we're holding these two, these twin epiphanies as we see Jesus up to his waist in water. First, that he is radically human, humble, so fully experienced in the longings and the pains that we experience. And second, that he is God's son, that he carries the divinity of his father and that he is good beyond our wildest efforts. And what I'm stunned by in this moment is the fact that these epiphanies are not competing for Jesus's identity. Y'all, here's what I suspect. They are one epiphany. The Jewish people expected a Messiah to come with political might, with profound teaching, maybe if they believe John the Baptist, with the end of the world as we know it. But Jesus, standing in this river, fulfills the law and the prophets in a way so different than we expected. He is humble. He's the son of a carpenter. But he is also the son of God. He is just so much less and so much more than we bargained for. Jesus is descended from Abraham and from David, from Sarah and Ruth. And standing in that Jordan River, he is also descended from a people who crossed through the Dead Sea on dry land and were given the identity of God's chosen people between walls of water. 
He's also descended from those who were sustained in the wilderness with springs of water coming out of a rock, and those who saw God part the Jordan and walked through it to the promised land. I think of Jesus as a child learning the words from Yahweh spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. Jesus, standing in the Jordan, is a part of a history and a people that again and again receive restoration and justice and liberation as what is stirring in the water. And Jesus doesn't just stand in the current of that history, this profound epiphany that we've talked about, the realization that Jesus is human, fully, and fully God's son, means that Jesus reshapes this story, reshapes the hope of the people of Israel into a hope for all humankind, for all of us. Everyone who's living between the rivers that form the boundaries of the Garden of Eden and the river in the New Jerusalem, the river of life. Jesus folds all of the history of God's liberation into himself and then reconfigures it into hope for everyone held in his very body. I think of the way Jesus stands on the banks shoulder to shoulder with those desiring to be made clean. Do not fear, he might have told them, or told us, maybe, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. Because, and this is a wild thing that I do not fully understand, these waters of baptism take on a new meaning in the new covenant. So they get reconfigured in the new kingdom that Jesus is establishing. Because Jesus is just so much more than we expected, these waters become intimately connected with Jesus's death and resurrected life. And instead of moving through a river in hopes of being made clean enough to encounter a living God, because of Jesus, we move through the waters of baptism to profess faith in his power to move us from death into life. Romans 6 says we are buried with him by baptism that we might walk in newness of life. As we look to Christ, cling to Christ, we move through the waters of death into the waters of forgiveness. And we also hear those words from God. You are my child, my beloved. With you I am well pleased. I have all of these images floating around in my head of what this looks like. <laughs> floating, I didn't think of that. Um, one of them... So I remember when I was 18, <laughs> I was living in Colorado, and I was standing at one moment on 
the rocky shore of the Arkansas River. And I was looking out over this, um, this rapid called Last Chance that I had to swim <laughs> in order to be certified as a whitewater rafting guide, which was my summer job. And as I was standing there, I was, um, I was crying because I am a terrible swimmer. I don't know, this might just be a fourth child thing, but I never had swim lessons as a kid, and I was very afraid. And um, as huge and strong as I am now, I was not very huge and strong then. And because of all of this, they assigned to me a river buddy um, to swim with me, who is very tall, and very strong and very kind. And I remember launching out, jumping in, and just knowing immediately that there was no way I could do this. Within maybe five strokes, I was getting pushed towards these two big rocks downstream that formed sort of a slot between them. And the waves were up over my head, and they were just taking my breath away. And I was so so afraid. And then, in this moment, I felt a hand reach back and grab the back of my life jacket and pull me forward away from those rocks. And I swam as hard as I could, but it was not enough. But because I had someone with me in the river who was strong enough not only to swim across, but also to carry me, to pull me, I arrived safely on the other side. And it's, um, it's that feeling of the hand on the back of my life jacket that I want to hold on to. It's, um, it's the, the feeling maybe similar to what Peter had when he felt his body sinking into the waves and he could barely keep his head above water, when Jesus reaches down with a strong hand and a gentle, oh, you of little faith, and pulled him up, maybe carried him to safety. Mostly, I just want us to feel what it means to have so humble a Lord and so powerful a friend who goes with us through the waters that by his righteousness we might also be saved. That's the feeling of this epiphany. Like, okay, this might seem silly after all of that, but at this time of year I almost always try and make um, some resolutions for the new year. Like, I try and figure out all the ways that I've messed up and disappointed myself or disappointed God, and then I make lists of ways to do better and be better. And I, I double up on my efforts to be good. I don't know if anyone else does that. But it's also, it's about two weeks later than that, so like right now, that I also start remembering how small I am and how weak I am and how powerless I am on my own to just enact love or justice or even just kindness. 
And that exactly is the good news of this double epiphany. Jesus is not just a divine emissary sent to instruct us to do better, be better, or suffer God's wrath. Jesus is human and is shoulder to shoulder with us in the river, with us in our daily battles against our own unruly spirits and our tired bodies and our broken systems. Hebrews 4 describes Jesus as a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weakness, who in every respect has been tested as we are. This is a great encouragement that just destroys all my conceptions of self-help. We do not serve a savior who has not been through the waves or someone who stands on the other shore just beckoning for us to swim harder. Because at the moment that we are unable of our own power to pass through death into life, to make it across the river into liberation, or to swim even just another stroke, Jesus is with us, beside us, the hand that pulls us to the other side by his divine power and love. And because we are not saved into our own striving, we are not baptized into our own glory, but into a community forged around Christ's glory. One theologian I was reading calls all of his congregation little fishes because he says we are a people born in these waters, saved by Jesus as we pass through. I just love that idea of us being little fishes. Jesus takes our weakness and stirs the waters, brings us through death into a life based around his identity and changes like even our bodies into something new. Jesus flips the way we breathe, the way we move, maybe makes us strange to our environment from before, but at home, in the waters of baptism and renewal, and at home in the spirit who is hovering over them. So, will y'all pray with me? Jesus, thank you that you are with us, that you chose to be with us and continue to choose to be with us. And thank you that you are intimately um, connected to us and that you know what it means to be human. Thank you for saving us. Continue to teach us, Lord, what it means to um, live in a way that reflects the way we have been saved and continue to send your spirit to be with us. Amen.